Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. I don't know if any of you have ever put a certain location into a GPS or into your phone, into one of your maps apps, and, uh, and wanted to find out how to get somewhere and perhaps you wanted to go to Bryanston, somewhere in Bryanston, you typed in Bryanston, and then it gave you like an impossible amount of time that it was going to take you to get there. Something like 17 days, three, you know, three hours and 14 minutes. You're thinking, how slow does this app think I am? Like I could crawl there in less than 17 days. Um, and, and, so, and so what you had to do in order to figure out what the GPS had interpreted your location as is that you had to zoom out. You kind of pinch the screen in order to gain perspective. And so you zoom out beyond your suburb and eventually beyond your province and eventually beyond your nation and eventually you're, you're hovering over the globe, over the continents of the earth. And you see that your GPS has somehow thought that you wanted to get your hair cut somewhere in the south of England. Um, and, so, and so sometimes that's actually a useful exercise for us when we're considering what we're called to, when we're considering what God has for us, is that sometimes we need to pinch the perspective and we need to zoom out and we need to go back to the original intent of why God created us, what God has for us, what His, what His purposes and His plans are, because we're so, we're so caught up in our daily living and in our everyday lives and all the pressures that we face that we've forgotten the bigger picture. And so this whole series is about zooming out. It is about going back to that original plan and purpose that God has, that original perspective, because once you know the bigger picture, the smaller roads make sense. You understand what your everyday doing, how it plays into the original purpose and allows you to go in the direction that God has intended for your life. Otherwise, it just feels like we're wandering and going around in circles or just lost within a gated community. Have you ever done that? These days in Joburg, they, you know, there's only one way in and one way out. And if you don't know the way, you're going to visit the suburb for a while. And, and I've done that. And you need a GPS to show you how to get out. And sometimes when we zoom out, we can go, I know which road to take. I know why I'm taking the road. I know, I know why I should stay on this road. I know why I should be committed to this path. Because even though it doesn't make sense, even though I don't always, this wouldn't have been the way I would have chosen for myself, I can see how that leads me to the place that God wants for me. And I believe God has a road for us. I believe God has a road for our church. I believe that He has something for our community. And so He wants us to stay the course. He wants us to hear His voice. He wants to lead us. And this whole series has come out of what we felt God has been saying to us about that. And so we're zooming out, and we're going to that original moment, that place in space and time when you first encountered Jesus, not as, as a religion or as a philosophy or as um, some sort of moral teaching, but encountered His person in a supernatural way. And I'm specifically interested in what you felt at that time, what you believed about God in that moment as He revealed His grace and His power um, to you, that overwhelming sense of I am seen and I am known and I am, I am loved. I believe that there's something in that that God wants every single person in our city to experience because we all know, for those of us that have experienced that, that you're, 
never the same after having experienced that. Our commitment to Jesus is not just based on the strength of our will. It's not just based on the strength of something we've adopted, but it's based on something that's changed fundamentally on the inside of us as we went from death to life. And we now walk in this life that Jesus has given us. There's a desperation that we had where we knew what we needed and and we found it in Jesus. I thought about the the woman who had the issue of blood that we read about in Mark 5. And uh, I don't have this verse up on the screen this morning, but you can open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 5 if you have them here. Um, Because this woman had a specific desire. She desired wholeness. She desired healing. And in Mark chapter 5 verse 25, it says there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. 12 years is an incredibly long time to suffer under a disease, to suffer under some tormenting disease that she had. And it says that she had suffered much under many physicians. And as I read that verse, I thought about our city and I thought about the people that have got issues in their life, that have got brokenness in their life. They've got all kinds of of things that they're dealing with, and they have suffered much by going to every other doctor except Jesus. Every other physician. Maybe money will cure me. Maybe my career will cure me. Maybe marriage will cure me. Maybe if I can just find a wife, I'll be happy. And then once you found that wife, many are like, actually, I need to find another one. Then I'll be happy. A different one. This is what our world does. And what we do is we compound suffering. Nothing gets better, everything gets worse. When you turn to human wisdom and to all these different things to find the healing and the wholeness and the, and the purpose and, and, and the, 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 the fulfillment that we long for in life, we only compound emptiness and brokenness and suffering. And so she had suffered much and had spent all that she had. It was worth everything to her but was no better, rather grew worse. She got no better, but just got worse. Then she heard the report about Jesus. I love that because it means that somebody somewhere went and told her about what Jesus was doing and what Jesus could do. And that's exactly what, we're, what we believe our call is as a church, is that we're here to report on what Jesus has done. And saying that if Jesus did it for them, he can do it for you. If Jesus healed me, if he helped me, if he redeemed me, he can redeem you. That's our message to this world. We, ha- we carry that ministry of reconciliation. We, the Bible says God makes his appeal through us. And what is the appeal to the world? Be reconciled to God. You too can meet Jesus. You too can have a personal encounter. You too can experience the power of his restoration in your life. She heard a report. Hey, there's this guy around, Jesus. People are saying that he's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He has the power to heal. And so she hears the report about Jesus and then came up behind him in the crowd. Literally had to push her way through thousands of people to get to Jesus. There's a desperation in that. 
There's an intent in that. Like, I am not just coming to see Jesus. I'm not just going to be a silent observer. I'm not going to sit on the sidelines. I know that I need him. And so I'm going to push through the crowd if I need to, but I'm going to get to Jesus. And when she got up behind him, she touched his garment. For she had said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. You see, she heard the reports, but then she believed. She believed that Jesus could really do this. And so when she went to Jesus, she reached out to him, but she reached out to him in faith. She reached out to him in a, with a sense of trust that if I can just have contact, if I can just have a personal encounter, I can receive from God what I so desperately need. She didn't exclude herself from what God could do. And as she reached out and touched him, it says, immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Now, I love the interaction that follows from here. Because the disciples, as usual, are thinking in the natural. They're not quite aware of everything. I mean, it must have been hard to keep up with Jesus. Like, Jesus is like inside himself. He perceives power's gone out. He's like, who touched my garments? And Jesus is standing in a maddening crowd with thousands of people. And the disciples are completely confused. They think Jesus has got a little bit of heat stroke or, you know, he's dehydrated a little bit. He needs something because he's like, there's thousands of people pressing in on Jesus. And he turns around and goes, guys, who touched me? Somebody touched my clothes. Yeah, who was it? So the disciples respond to Jesus and, the, and they say to him, you see the crowd pressing around you. And yet you say, who touched me? Like, Jesus, please help us. We don't understand what you're talking about. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, you see, she reached out in faith for healing, but received adoption. She got more than what she came for. The same as the friends that lowered the sick man through the roof to, in front of Jesus. They just wanted that, that lame man to be healed. But the first thing Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. You see, when you trust in Jesus, he deals with what you need most first. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. And, heal, and be healed of your disease. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said uh, to uh, to Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So the context of this whole thing actually is that Jairus' daughter was ill and was dying. And Jairus came to fetch Jesus. And on the way there, this woman has this encounter with Jesus. And Jesus says to her, power has gone out from me. You are healed. And in that moment, while Jesus is still speaking, the people arrive and say to Jairus, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter's dead. I love how God will sometimes allow the testimony of miraculous power to be present in the very moment that we need to trust in it for ourselves. 
I imagine how encouraged Jairus must have been knowing that even death is not the end for his daughter. How does he know? He just witnessed it. And so the witness of what God does for us as we trust in him allows others to trust in Jesus for what they need. And what they need is for the dead to be raised, for the dead to be brought to life. It's so kind of God to give us these testimonies so that we can trust and be inspired in our faith. But this woman knew that she didn't need a ceremony. She didn't need fanfare. She didn't need anointing oil. What she just needed was a single sincere touch in faith of Jesus, and she would be healed. There's a difference between a crowd and an individual who seeks God. The power goes out. This past week, I did one of those things that you sometimes do when you feel like it might be a good idea, but you're kind of unsure about it, but you're just like, well, let me just go through the motions here. And so what I did was I, I went for a test drive. I test drove a car that I was considering buying, but really, really, I don't think I, don't think, uh, I should, but I thought, let me just drive it and see what it's like. The thing is, my family is so big now, I need a small bus. <laughs> I now have four kids. I need, you know, I need a bus and a trailer and, you know, one of those tops that they put over the top or whatever. Um, and so I thought, let me, let me go for this test drive. And then I thought, maybe I shouldn't, just a waste of time. But something just told me that I should go. And I went and got into the car and started a conversation with the salesman. The first thing he tells me is, uh, or he asks me what I do. And I tell him that I, I lead a church. And he, and, he's, and he starts telling me his testimony. A Hindu man, grew up Hindu, and says 11 years ago, he had a dream. And in the dream, Jesus appeared to him. And in the dream, Jesus told him, I have a purpose for you. I have a purpose for you. He woke up, found the nearest church, went there, got baptized, told his family, and has been serving God ever since. I invited him to church. Uh, not sure if he's here this morning, but, but I'm sure he'll be coming through soon. And I said, God has got that purpose. You've got to pursue that purpose. He didn't show up in a dream for nothing. He's got something he wants to do in your life. But this man was talking about what he encountered in that moment. And it's so good for us to zoom out beyond our personal views and our philosophies about God and to keep zooming to the point where we get to the edge of creation, where we find the creator standing face to face with his newly shaped creation, standing face to face with the first of mankind, so that we can come to the point of original purpose. What was God's original purpose in creating the universe and us? Why did he do it? God reveals himself as I am, Yahweh, self-sufficient, uncreated. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't, he doesn't need, you know, when he appeared to Moses in the burning bush, the bush did not burn. He is the all-consuming fire and needs no fuel to burn. He's completely self-sufficient and doesn't need anything from anyone. This is who God is. He exists purely on who he is. So why would he make us? Why would he create us as people? This past Monday night, I was sitting with my three boys 
We do some discipleship sessions together every now and again, and I've written a little course that I take them through, and there was load shedding, so we were kind of, we had one, uh, uh, just kind of like a, a backup lantern, just standing on one side, dimly lit room, and we're just sitting there, and we're going through some of these, these fundamental truths about why God created us, and I asked them this question. I said, so why did God create us? The boys gave the common answers that we usually get when we ask this question. They said, well, to give God glory or to obey Him or to serve Him. And obviously, we should give God glory and we should obey Him and we should serve Him, but God didn't need us to give Him the glory. He's not insecure in any way. God doesn't need any affirmation from us. He tells us to give Him glory because it's the best thing for us. When you give God glory, you order your life correctly. Your priorities fall in line. You understand that original purpose. When we give God glory, it's good for us. So God says, worship me, give me glory so that it may be well with you. But God doesn't need us to glorify him. He's not needy in any way. He's completely self-sufficient. So I said to the boys, no, there's something deeper beyond that, beyond the glory and the needing obedience or, or, or needing us to serve him. What is it? And they couldn't arrive at the answer. So I said, well, what does the Bible tell us about who God is? What did God tell us? How did he reveal himself? When he showed up and he spoke to Moses in the book of Exodus, what did God say about himself? The very first thing he tells Moses about himself in Exodus 34 and verse 6, it says that the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's how God reveals himself. The first thing he says about himself is that he is abounding in love and faithfulness, that he is merciful and gracious and slow to anger, steadfast love, steadfast love. That's who God is. John writes in his epistle, First uh, John verse 4 and 8, he says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. God is the complete definition of love. Everything he does is motivated by who he is, which is love. So when God tells us certain things are right and certain things are wrong, he tells us that because he loves. Our world has a mantra today, which is love is love. You, you cannot define something just by repeating the word, right? That doesn't define it. You need to know what that original love that you're saying is love, you're trying to define it by. Otherwise, it's just circular reasoning. I can say chair is chair, but what is a chair? You need to define it. And God defines love because it's not something he has, it's something he is. And so we can trust that God is love. And knowing that about God, we can answer the question, why did he create us? He created us in order to love us. God created every single one of us because his desire is to have a relationship with us. And I could see it was taking my boys a moment to take that in. God wants to know me personally. I mean, these conversations get real deep. You'll think that just a couple of young boys you know, but the conversation very quickly goes from everything from ice cream to just war theory within a few moments. 
My boy Jude sat back a little while and he said, but, but how do I know that God has forgiven me? How do I know? Like, well, he said that Jesus would die on the cross for you and be resurrected from the dead, and that happened. So if he said you're forgiven, you're forgiven. God is faithful to his word. But for them, they were taking in the thought that God wants to know them personally. God doesn't just have relationships with pastors and, and church leaders and, and, and you know, uh, influential people from different realms. No, he, has a rela- he wants a relationship with every person on this earth. It's why he created. He is love. And so in order to express his love, he created a universe within which his own dream could exist, which was the dream of having a relationship with you and I. He created everything to declare his glory so that we wouldn't be able to forget about the eternal power and nature of God. We can see it all around us in the stars and the sunrise and the sunset and the oceans and everything that God has created. We see his, his eternal power is made plain. And then specifically through the person of Jesus he said, this is who I am and this is how much I love you. And so God's intent is for us to come to that place where we are the recipients of his eternal love. Where we know it intimately where we experience the joy and elation of knowing Him, the fulfillment that's in it. Our faith is not about getting people to behave in a certain way, but about bringing them to a place where they can encounter that original love. And God didn't create robots. He created us with free will because love is not love if you cannot choose to not love. He gave us the ability to respond to that love and to trust in Him and walk with Him. And if we zoom all the way out, this is the original purpose of man, of mankind. That we would have a relationship with our Creator and be fulfilled in Him. And that's why God created us the way that He created us. How many of you here have ever had a hamster as a pet? Anybody? A couple of us as kids, perhaps. Most useless pets ever. I don't know if other hamsters are loving, but mine never were. All they wanted to do was sleep in the sawdust, and if you woke them up, they would savagely bite you. They didn't want, they didn't want to know you. They didn't want to have a relationship with you. They're like, why are you taking me out of my hiding place right now? I'm like, but I bought you and I loved you. I don't care. I want to sleep. And then when you want to sleep, they want to have a party. So that same hamster would wake up in the middle of the night, start running on the wheel like crazy. I remember taking my hamster in the cage to the bathroom. It's like, you can sleep here now because I need to sleep. Why would you have a pet that isn't awake when you are? Right? It just does. It's useless. And goldfish are even worse. I even had my goldfish. You tap on the glass, do something, respond somehow. Apparently, they forget who you are every seven seconds. They don't even know where they are half the time. So when God created us, the Bible says he created us differently from the animals, differently from the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the the, the natural world. And, 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 And the cult of humanism in our world today has forgotten this. And they say, no, all life has equal value. Animals and humans have the same value. Killing an animal is the same as killing a human. Have you heard this kind of 
argument? It's lunacy. Animals don't have spirits. I know that you want your dog to go to heaven. I know that you've asked God if your dog can go to heaven. I just, as your pastor, I want to tell you today, your dog is not going to heaven. I don't know. Maybe Jesus will be kind. I don't know. But your dog doesn't have a spirit. You cannot lead your dog to the Lord. Jesus said, look at the birds. They neither soil nor tow, yet uh, so, uh, they neither sow nor toil, yet your Father in heaven feeds them. How much more valuable are you than they? So just so if in case you were wondering, humans do have more value than animals. But why did God create us so differently? The Bible says he created us in his image. Why? So that he could have a relationship with us. So that we could know him and trust in him. God created us to be able to encounter and understand and respond to his love. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, uh, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created us with original purpose to know him, love him, and on his behalf, in partnership with him, rule and reign in this life. The original purpose of man. God didn't do this with any of the other animals, but when it came to mankind, he breathed into us his own spirit, the Ruach spirit of God, and man became a living Zoe being. God gave us a soul. He gave us a moral compass and understanding. Why? Because God is moral. He gave us a desire for purpose. Why? Because God is purposeful. C.S. Lewis said, if man had no purpose or no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. You don't have Impala standing in the bush in the Kruger Park going, I really wonder what the meaning of all of this is. No, they just go through the motions, but not us. We consider meaning because we're created in the image of God. God is relational. Therefore, we desire deeply relationship and community. In short, God created us to be awake at the same time as him so that we could have a relationship with him. So we can know his love, experience it, express it, find truth, trust in it, love it, and walk according to it, pursue purpose, and live meaningful lives. And then through sin, we lost that relationship. Through sin, there was a brokenness that entered into, and we lost that authority that we had to rule and reign in life, and we began to compound the brokenness. In this world, we lost the ability to reflect God's nature. And so God's plan of redemption was to send his own son to die on the cross for us so that we could be redeemed and reconciled to the original purpose 
for mankind. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 says, all of this is from God. He did all of it for us, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Ministry, in its most simplest terms, just means helping people. And so God gave us the ability to help people be reconciled to him. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them, and then entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's an incredible statement. God has entrusted to you and I the message that a broken world that has lost its purpose, that has become spiritually dead, can be reconciled to its creator, can go back to the original purpose, the original plan, be restored to God's original plan, and can, be, can rule and reign in life again. And that is why there is not a single person that we can ever count out. And our friends at Overland Missions, Phil Smithhurst and them, they have this deep belief that until you can see the nations in an individual, God can never give you those nations. In other words, every man, woman, and child you meet has in them, through the grace of God, the potential to shake nations. And it's not based on your learnedness or your intelligence or your theological degrees or your, your, your natural history or heritage. No, it's completely based on what can God do with a new creation. He can shake nations. He often chooses the foolish to confound the wise. He picks the people none of us would pick. And our heart as a church is to see those people and to call them into the potential that God has for them. Do you know God didn't just create you just to go through the motions? Just to run on the little hamster wheel? You know, God created you to live a powerful life and affect change and shake nations and to be a supernatural witness of the resurrection of Jesus. Maybe you're somebody that's saying, I don't know how to engage with that call. I don't know, how, you know, how to contend for it. I don't know how to walk in that fullness. Maybe you're still half-hearted. Maybe you're not even sure if you believe in Jesus or want to follow Jesus and you're still considering but the book of Psalms tells us what, what the, the point of conversion is for us. The Bible says that in Psalms, the psalmist writes and says that God, when I was drowning, He lifted me up. And He brought me into a broad place. And then in Psalm 18 verse 19, it says, He rescued me because He delighted in me. God delights in you. He delights in you. That's why he rescued you. He created you for relationship. And when you lost your way, he rescued you because he loves you. In its simplest terms, that's our message. And in this way, God woos us into wholeheartedness. We are passionate about the things of God, not because we're religious fanatics, but because we are ones who have tasted the goodness and the love of God. And because we love people, we want them to taste it as well. God's established us in the knowledge that He loves us. And we're no longer striving to get Him to delight in us. 
We're running on the fuel of His love. We're compelled by the love of Christ because we understand Christ died for everyone. So this is the framework for the Great Commission. God loves us and He loves others. And so we will never be able to fulfill God's plan in our lives unless we live in proximity to Jesus. Unless we abide in Him. We were created to rule and reign, not in distance from God, but in proximity with God, in unity with God. John 15, 4, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We can't produce this kind of fruit on our own. Romans 5, 17 says, For if because of one man's trespass, Death reigned through that one man. If sin came through Adam and reigned through all of us, much more, much more. Everybody say much more. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Just, I want to tell you, you're not created to just barely get by. To just barely survive. God's original purpose is that we would reign with Him as we abide in Him. And so God brings us back into intimacy with Him. Back into relationship. And then He pours out His Spirit again. The Spirit that He breathed into us that caused us to become alive at first. God then, in the book of Acts, just as He promised, He poured that Spirit out the power of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. In Acts 1 verse 4 to 5, Jesus says, it says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized, immersed with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And then in verse 8, it says, and then you will receive power, dunamis. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what will you do with the power that God pours out on your life through the Holy Spirit? You'll be my witnesses. You'll be supernatural witnesses. In all Judea and Samaria, Jerusalem, to the ends of the earth, even to Joburg. Supernatural witnesses. Jesus says these signs will follow those who believe. If they lay their hands on the sick, the sick will recover. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new languages. God will move powerfully through you. You will say to those, the kingdom of God has come near you. And so we need to trust and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives if we're going to be effective witnesses to God, to live the life God's called us and to do the ministry that He's called us to. What God has done is that he has transformed us from merely natural people to those who carry the image of Jesus and operate by the power of his spirit so that we may rule and reign in this life with Christ. And every person we meet, we invite them into that life. We invite them into that restoration. We invite them into that reconciliation. I want to end by just looking at one place where Jesus operates in this power 
as he comes to the little town, the village of Samaria. And he goes and sits next to a well in the middle of the day in the heat of the Middle East. And his disciples go out to get food. And at that time, a woman comes to the well. And she's visiting the well at an odd time. And it's because she's an outcast in that village because of the amount of relational failures that she's had. She has been through it and probably has a pretty bad reputation by this point. But what Jesus sees is not her history, is not her failures, is not her brokenness. He sees the potential of heaven on her. What God can do if he restores us back to that original place. And so at one point, Jesus says to her, will you fetch your husband? And he's just putting his finger right on that nerve. He's just like, he knows exactly what to say. Jesus speaking by the word of knowledge of the Holy Spirit in that moment. Will you go and fetch your husband? She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you've spoken correctly for you've had five husbands and the man that you're with now is not your husband. And Jesus isn't trying to shame her in this moment or embarrass her. He's saying, I know that you're coming to this well because you're thirsty. But the thirst that you have is deeper than what this water can quench. He says, if you asked me, I would have given you living water and you would never thirst again. You've been looking for the answer in so many things. Many physicians and things have just gotten worse. Ask me. This woman goes into that town. And the first thing she says in John 4, 29 is, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And in verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. This is a woman who didn't have a theological degree. She had spent like five minutes in the presence of Jesus, but the encounter was enough that she could share. I had a supernatural visitation. I know who this Jesus is, and you've got to come and see him. And because of that testimony, many came to Jesus because she said, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And then they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. I love this. It's not just secondhand testimony based on somebody else's experience that we believe in Jesus. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. See, Jesus operated by the power of the Holy Spirit, spoke prophetically into her life. She encountered the supernatural love of God and the fact that God knows her and sees her. She ran in and shared her testimony and many came and said, now we've had our own encounters based of, off of what you shared. We heard Jesus for ourselves. Your testimony will introduce people to Jesus. It will open hearts. It will get people listening so that they too can encounter Jesus. And have a personal encounter with him. Church, I really hope and trust that God is going to develop a supernatural quality to our community. I believe he's been doing it all along and, and wants to take us to new levels of effectiveness in, in operating by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
being sensitive to His voice, when you're, when you're witnessing with somebody, when you're spending time with somebody, ask yourself the question, what does God want to say to this person right now? And take the moment to, to speak prophetically into their lives, to speak on behalf of God, God making His appeal through you. Extend the invitation for them to trust in Jesus and trust the Holy Spirit to do the rest. And it'll lead many to faith. I want to end with Acts 4.29. This was the prayer of the church in the book of Acts. They were witnessing about the resurrection of Jesus. And in that process, there were threats against them. And it says in verse 29, now in Acts 4.29, now the Lord, now Lord, this is a prayer from them. Look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal. But now Jesus has already ascended into heaven. How is he going to do that? He's going to do it through us, church. He's going to do it through us. You stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. The power of God showed up. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I'm praying that this would be us, church. That God would stretch out his hand to work supernaturally through us as we witness to a world that has not yet encountered his love or understood the original purpose for their lives. But we get to share it. How blessed are we to be in that position today that we get to do that? I'm praying that this week you'll be able to have at least one conversation. At least one moment, one prayer, one bit of insight and inspiration that the Holy Spirit gives you to reach the lost. Because that's what we're here for. Amen.